He's a retired federal agent. Worked for many agencies in the United States government, primarily undercover. He also consulted on films like Miami Vice. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Florida, we have Lorenzo Toledo on the phone. Lorenzo is a retired U.S. federal agent. Get this, he worked U.S. Marshals, Customs, ATF. He worked primarily undercover. And he's consulted on major Hollywood films, including Miami Vice. Lorenzo, first, thanks for your service. And secondly, thanks for being guests on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. No, thank you, brother. It's, it's actually my pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Dude, how many federal agencies did you work for? The only ones I see missing from the alphabet soup is FBI and maybe Secret Service. Right, right. Yeah, I, I actually started with the U.S. Marshal Service, and then I ended up switching over to ATF. Um, from ATF, I ended up going to um, actually a local, local department, Bergen County Prosecutor's Office in New Jersey. And then from there, I went to Customs in 98 where I ended up my, ended my career with Homeland Security, which was customs merging after 9-11. You've been through a, a long career, lots of different agencies. I'm sure the changes from agency to agency, maybe not so much with the feds, but when you went to the local Bergen County prosecutor's <laughs> office, I'm sure it was a big, big adjustment for you. Absolutely. It was a really big adjustment for me. It was completely different, completely different. Um, what I can say about getting that experience uh, with the locals was I worked mostly organized crimes and sex crime cases, and I also helped on some of the murder cases. Um, the, the experience I got doing interrogations and interviews was, you know, valuable for me for the rest of my career. I actually did more interviews there than I had ever done with the feds. Oh, really? That's, I, yeah. I, I, I would think we, it'd we be the other way around. I'm so, we had to interview a lot of uh, suspects, witnesses, children, because I worked some of the sex crimes cases. And uh, the whole gamut of interviewing different suspects and witnesses, and it was um, it was very interesting. It was very interesting. They did the interviews completely different than we did with the feds. I, I worked, uh, and this is not about me, but I was a Baltimore City Police, and 
got detailed to the DEA for about two years. And you're absolutely right. The, the way the feds did things was totally different than the way we did things. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or a, a value to either one. I'm just saying it's different. And by the way, they had all the resources, all the stuff we ever dreamed of, they had all the time. Right, 100%. I still to this day think that the method that the locals do interviews and take statements is is way better than the way the federal government does it. The only thing I can think of, Lorenzo, to be honest with you, is that the federal, and I'm not, I don't want people to take a negative away from this. The federal interview, if you were interviewing a witness or victim, it was a little more sterile than the police environment. Right. And I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just saying that's the way it was. When it comes to interviewing a bad guy, when you say, right. oh, by the way, you're looking at 25 years federal time and you're going to serve every minute of it, man, when that hammer is lifted over their head, it's totally different. Absolutely. That's 100% correct. They know that when the feds come in, and you know, it's, it's just different. They're going to get more time. Oh, they're just yeah. going to get more time, in it, and there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I was always a pretty straight shooter when I did interviews. I mean, I, I told them the truth. I said, look, you know, either you work with us and we can help you. If not, you know, we can't make any guarantees, but... Nobody's going to be there for you once you're in. That's and true. Somebody's going to be probably with your girlfriend or with your wife. And, you know, you're going to end up, you know, being all alone. So some way, you know, you, you got to be smart. You, these guys, they have to be smart. And, and I'll be honest with you. I think, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I want to say 95% of the people cooperate. They do. Especially when they, it's federal charges. Exactly, exactly. What's the old saying we had? Everybody flips. This, this, right. this stoic bad guy and now they do exist the stoic bad guys they do exist however they're very rare everybody i want to say everybody it's a strong word the vast majority of people we talked to gave it up very quickly right right or they you know they'd call two or three weeks later when they realized that what we were telling them was the truth and they wanted to cut a deal but most of the night you know most of the time it was too late yeah because everybody knew they were arrested I got to ask you this question in your experience. Sure. Uh, now, the the criminal genius is a very rare incident. There was a few that were really, really good, really smart, but the vast majority were just morons. Right. And they would believe that their girlfriends would cover for them all the time. Many times we had girlfriends while they were covering the very beginning. Within two, three weeks, they'd be like, uh, look, uh, we got to talk and tell you the truth about so-and-so. Was that your experience? Right. Absolutely, 100%. That happened often, in fact. It, um, you know, it's just funny how people think that all these people are going to come to bat for them. And, you know, when you're, on the, when you're in the hole there, nobody does. Nobody does, goes to bat for you. You know, maybe your mom and dad or your kids, but, you know, that's it. I mean, everyone else, is, is all your friends or your so-called friends and girlfriends, and they're going to turn their backs on you because they have to move on with their lives. Before we get into your story, I got to make this observation. My wife and I are watching this Sylvester Stallone uh, new film, new series called Tulsa King. Uh, and while we laugh a lot of it, we know it's entertainment. We know it's Hollywood. We know it's not accurate. I have zero experience working with Cosa Nostra or the mafia or right. whatever terms. Right. However, he his, his whole premise is, I did 25 years. I kept my mouth shut. Where's my reward? And right. he didn't get it. And that's a rarity. Show and, I, and, and like you said, it's, it's entertaining because the loans in it. It's got some really good actors in it. Um, but it's just, you know, I worked with the OC guys, with the organized crime guys. 
and they're not what they used to be. You know, they they are very quick to cooperate now because they know if they don't, then one of their co-conspirators is going to cooperate. So they're looking to to cut the quickest deal they can. Yeah, and there's a little statue called Rico that has a lot to do with that. I believe. Absolutely. Rico is not their friend, you know, and, and they know about Rico and they don't want any part of that. You and, and I can uh, talk about this. I, I, I'm going to say this, that when I worked with the DEA, when we right. went with the, the the search and seizure warrants and the arrests, right. and when we did search and seizures, we seized everything, houses, right. businesses, Airplanes, cars, safe deposit boxes, the stuff you see on TV, no, right. it's not true. As a matter of fact, one person was missing a car for a while, we couldn't locate it, and I saw it about three weeks later, driving down the street and pulled it over and said, get out of the car. It's now property of the federal government. She was shocked. <laughs> shocked. That's great. Yeah. That's great. But it's, it's because Hollywood puts out its impression, and we'll talk about you consulting with films, and, and I'm sure you had frustration with that. Absolutely, yeah. But one of the biggest things, the misconceptions I have, is they have put out, and I say this all the time, Lorenzo, we have, and law enforcement have relied on many other people to tell our stories for too long. And right. they've done a bad job. They've not been accurate. They've And now it's so sensationalized or biased and reporting that it, if we don't tell our own stories, no one else will. And the reason why people don't know the truth is because we have not had a national platform to tell our stories. We're talking with Lorenzo Toledo. He's a retired federal agent. He worked U.S. Marshal, Customs, ATF, Bergen County Prosecutor's Office. He even consulted on major Hollywood films like Miami Vice. When we return, we're going to talk about his experience working undercover, the realities and misconceptions, and more. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Welcome to the Harmony with Food Radio Show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable, and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show, joined by Lorenzo Toledo, retired U.S. federal agent. He were U.S. Marshal Service, Customs, ATF agent, mostly working undercover. He was assigned to Bergen County, New Jersey Prosecutor's Office, working sex crimes, organized crime, you name it. Uh, and he's also consulted on major Hollywood films, including Miami Vice. I, I gotta say, it's Lorenzo. The undercover thing, my my mother, God bless her, she's always saying, yeah, my, my son, he was undercover police, and I, I want to correct her. There's very few things to correct people on, but I'm like, right. I was never undercover. I was a plainclothes narcotics detective. There's a big difference. Right. I specialize in surveillance. Yeah. I specialize in being the backup team. Undercover, right. I was lousy at. I was the right. worst right. of the worst. Yeah, it's 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 a different. It's it's it takes a you know a different person to be able to do undercover, 
And, um, hey, listen, everybody everybody helps. I mean, the guys that you have in surveillance, it's nothing better than having a great surveillance team to cover your back and you feel that security that you know that if anything goes bad, they're going to be there for you. Right. right. So I think it's, like, it's teamwork. It's just working as a team. And, and it's, um, it's the only way that it can work correctly. I mean, you know, I, I used to handpick my guys and I wanted them to cover me or at least be as close to me as possible because I knew, again, that if something happened, they'd be there for me. Um, and, and, you know, it, again, it's, it's, it's all teamwork and it's all that, you know, it, it, we, we all become uh, law enforcement because uh, at the end of the day, we, we want to help people. We want to put bad guys in jail. And I think if you don't do it for the money, you know, you're not going to become no. rich doing this. You do it because you believe in the mission. And, and um, you know, it's something that we all share. And I always say that this is something that's very close to the military in the sense that, you know, we're fighting a domestic war here. Yeah. You know, and, and I think I think people forget that sometimes that it's it's hard. It, it's this war has never ended. It's it's been going on since since the beginning. So I think that I looked at odmp.org, also mm-hmm. memorialpage.org. Right. And I think one of the deadliest time periods for American policing was in the nineteen twenties when prohibition was right. an issue. We lost so many. Uh, and we lose right. a ton now still more even more to the suicide and self-harm than line of duty. Right. But where we really have a big, big problem also is officers being maimed and severely injured that survive. And right. you know this, I know this, American public doesn't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand how many are injured severely and they're, they're dinged up. That's a nice way of putting it. They are disabled for the rest of their lives. Right, right, absolutely. But you know what? There's no, um, we don't have the same benefits. And, I, and I'm a big fan of the military. God bless them. And I really thank them all for their service. They're amazing. But we don't have some of the benefits they, that they have in the sense that, you know, if you're a combat wounded veteran, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of respect you get. But for law enforcement guys that have been wounded or hurt on the job, they just don't have that recognition. I talked to a a, a severely injured, a couple of severely injured Canadian, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and they said, and don't quote me on this, I'm paraphrasing, they have a military police, like VA system, unlike what we have here. When I retired, when I got hurt and retired at 33, I was physically disabled, my health insurance tripled immediately. There's no safety back either. Yeah, Yeah, that's sad. I mean, and you know, people don't realize that cops aren't, we're not killers. We're not stone cold killers. We all have consciences. So shooting somebody for us or getting shot for us, it's a lot more traumatic than for somebody who's a stone cold killer out there who, who doesn't have that guilt, who doesn't feel that compassion. And that's something that we have to deal with. I, I have a lot of guys on the job that I've worked with many years that have been involved in many shootings some have been shot close, you know, facing death. And the recurring nightmares that they go through haunt them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And there's really no, it does get better with time. In my case, right. I have a lot less of those right. nightmares, a lot less frequently than I used to. Right. Uh, but I still have them. And here's right. the approach I've taken, Lorenzo, is I have physical injuries and I have emotional, mental damage. Right. So... 
when you and I have a cold, we don't get freaked out if we cough. When I have these things pop up, I don't freak out. It comes with the right. territory. And I know I'm not alone. Everybody, almost everyone I've talked to who's done a career in law enforcement, any length of time says, you know, I'm dinged up, but I'm okay with that. Right. That's 100% correct. I mean, and that's the way you got the, the only way you can move forward is to just, you know, deal with it, uh, put it in a little box and put it in the back of your mind somewhere and move forward and, and you know, go on with life because, you know, like, like you know, only God knows it is. There's an old saying that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what? You just got to live the best life you can and, and do the right thing by people. I think that's the secret to, to life. And how would you describe your life now? My life is good. I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm always hustling for another job. I mean, I'm always doing something, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm content with the career I had. The, the thing that I take the most pride in as a supervisor that I was for many, many years was that I always took care of my guys. Uh, they, they were of paramount importance to me. I wasn't so interested in getting promoted or any of that. I just wanted to make sure that my guys were taken care of. And what I mean by that is that if they had any successes, it was their successes. If they had any failures, it was my failure. And they knew that I would go to bat against the front office every single time for them. And that's something that I can wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror. And I can go to any retirement parties I want because the guys that knew me know that I was there for them. Where there's guys that retired from the job that only cared about promotions and really didn't do the job, that can't go to these retirement places. They're not invited. Nobody wants them there. And that is admirable. I would love to say that's how I was in my career, and I think I was, especially as a sergeant. I was a cop's cop, but one of the biggest misconceptions, before we get into your story, is that if you are a cop's cop, somehow that means you cover up for stuff that is corruption. uh, And we were the hardest on each other. We were so hard on each other, and if someone was dirty, they were found out very quickly. Right. 100%. And in fact, there's an old saying that says nobody hates a dirty cop more than another cop because it makes our job a hundred times more difficult when that happens because the public loses their faith in us. And it's just so unfair that we're not, we would never do anything like that, yet we get labeled. And I think that's something that you see, you know, cops do great things every day, but how many many people are, are applauding their efforts? They're not. They're applauding when something goes negative, and they sensationalize that. Even when the facts later on prove that the officer did nothing wrong. I'm going to say officer. That includes sheriffs, federal agents, and not just city police as well. And And, and I I tried to post a lot of positive things, positive interactions uh, on the Law Enforcement Radio Show Facebook page. And people share them. They eat it up. And one of the things they say, Lorenzo, is... How come the, the, the news media doesn't promote that? How come the news media, especially national media, doesn't tell these stories? And I tell them, there's an old saying in Baltimore and most places, if it bleeds, it leads. And if they can't create right. controversy, they can't create viewers, consumers of their product and create higher demand for advertising rates. We're talking with Lorenzo Toledo, retired U.S. federal agent who worked U.S. Marshals, Customs, ATF, Bergen County, New Jersey Prosecutor's Office, and also consulted on major Hollywood films, including Miami Vice. When we return, we're going to talk about his undercover career and more. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? 
head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Lorenzo Toledo on the Law Enforcement Today show. He's a retired U.S. federal agent. He worked as a U.S. Marshal. By the way, they're real police. He worked for Customs, they're real police, an ATF agent working undercover. By the way, they're real police. Of the three agencies he worked for as a street cop, we consider them our counterparts and our street equals. Not everybody. And DEA was also that way. Some of the other federal agencies, not so much. Right. One of the things that I didn't get, we talked about earlier, I worked playing clothes. I was a narcotics detective for a, a couple of years, and that's a different skill set. They sent me out to do controlled buys, and I was lousy at it. It's like I tell people, jokingly, I could be 85 in the old folks' home, and people go, shh, there's 5-0, don't talk around them. And no matter right. what I do. But there's also... You know, this misconception we have, I had Joe Pistone from the Don, Real Donnie Brasco on the show. I've had other undercovers on talking about the reality. And one of the things that people don't get, in my opinion, is the danger level. How dangerous was it for you? Yeah, it, it was it was very dangerous. I mean, I was working, for example, when I was at ATF, I was working like low-level street crimes. And um, I was going into buildings. I was making gun buys, and the one thing about ATF was that, you know, there's no there's no chance that you're dealing with people that aren't armed. They're going to have guns on them. So everybody coming into that scene knows that there's going to be guns there. Um, it was very stressful. You had to maintain yourself, um, keep your composure. You have to remember the stories you're gonna you're gonna use as you're, as an undercover. I mean, I was trying to always keep my my true story real close to my undercover life because I didn't want to invent stuff that I had no knowledge on. And and one of the biggest things for undercovers that I did was the night before, I would literally plan every single scenario that could possibly happen and have an answer for it. It was almost like playing chess in my mind. And I would do that all night before I went ahead and, and did the undercovers. So the stress level is really high because you know that at any time, you could be the best undercover in the world and it won't matter. If the guy wants to rip you, he's going to rip you off. Right. And you're going to have a bullet inside you, and yeah. you're dead, and that's the way it is. I had Mario Oliveira on the show, and he's um, a cop in the Boston area, and he was detailed at ATF as a U.S. Marshal and was shot six times, right. and, and it's a miracle yeah. he survived. As a matter of right. fact, I believe he died three times during surgery. And yeah, he was a young, he's a, such a great guy to, to talk to. But I get the danger level, and we, we talk about ATF, and talk about street cops. Uh, the ATF agents, they're on the street all the time, uh, and they're not working this sterile environment where it's safe all the time. It's those people, they get down and dirty. Right. And and that is true. And I can tell you that of all the undercovers I did, um, the most dangerous ones I did were at ATF. 
only because you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with a lower level uh, mentality out there in the street. And, um, you know, <laughs> you're almost better off that they knew you were a cop than if they think you're an informant. Because if they think you're an informant, they're going to kill you. If they, they think you're a cop, maybe they won't, you know. But at the end of the day, it was the most dangerous undercovers I ever did. Everybody was armed that you went into this undercover, undercover operation with. Absolutely. Everybody was armed. Our guys were armed. Their guys were armed. And at any moment, you know, everything can go. And in any second, anything can go bad. And I used to teach undercover at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And one of the things I used to tell the guys was that. Like, I had them in a the classroom, and I, I would say, okay, we're going to use you to do an undercover. They'd start talking to me, and I would say, okay, okay. And then I would just pull out a gun and shoot them. Right. And I go, what is the point of this? The point is that you can do the just do the best you can because you can be perfect doing undercover. But if a person wants to rip you off, you know, you got to turn on your spider senses. That little feeling inside that tells you, don't go down this way or don't do this, you got to listen to that inner voice. And that's something I've done my whole career, and it saved me from a lot of issues that I probably would have gotten killed. In in general terms, the most dangerous situation undercover that you thought you would not make it out of. Can you talk about it? Yeah, I did um, an undercover on this uh, organized uh, narcotics trafficking ring, and it was interesting because the guy that I was meeting with was an under, uh, under a former undercover FDLE agent. Uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement agent. And he just so happened to be an undercover as well. He was later fired from his job. But I knew, and I had called up and confirmed, and they said that this guy was probably the best undercover they had at FDLE at the time. One of the best. So I'm going in there with a guy that knows all the tricks of the trade, and I got to convince him that I'm not a cop. You know, again, situation, we're, I think we're selling, we were buying or selling 150 kilos of cocaine in Miami. Um, all guys, bad guys, and this one guy that I don't know if he was a consultant for them or I don't know why he was there, but he was there. And I mean, he was he was grilling me on questions, and, and it, it was it was tough. But I got him. What he was smart about doing is he wouldn't touch any of the uh, any of the um, cocaine. He wouldn't touch it because we did a count. He wouldn't touch it. So I'm thinking in the back of my mind, how am I going to get this guy? I want to nail this guy in court. How do I get to say that this guy knew exactly what, what was inside those kilos, you know, what was inside the packages? What I did was I actually, in the middle of the count, I tossed him. I just tossed him out like a Frisbee. I threw him a kilo. And I said, look, look, look how good that's packed. And now we had him on video touching and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. Perfect pack. And we got him. Just on that, he, he had to plead guilty. But it's that quick thinking that you need. That, that you know that you got to be in the moment. You got to be. You got to forget about all your issues, and you got to be in the moment. And, and you know, undercovers are dangerous. They're just dangerous things to do. Um, another time, I almost got ripped by a um, a group that came from New York City to to buy narcotics from us. And buy, I think they were buying five or six kilos. It wasn't that much. But the guy walked into my warehouse, and I didn't know that my, one of my former one of my guys on my surveillance team actually left the SWAT truck inside my warehouse, you know, and, and the outside, obviously it doesn't say anything, but inside he had all the vests in there. Everything was in there. So this guy comes in and he starts looking around. He goes, Hey, what's that? What's that truck? What's in there? And I was like, listen, I, that's not my truck. I have a friend of mine pays me. What's the problem? You want to do this deal or not? You know, what, what is it that you want? Are you a cop? And why are you asking me all these questions? I don't understand. So I kind of played it off where, you know, where I, you know, I, I brought back to the, the attention of what we were doing. 
But at the end of the day, I had to make a decision because I can. He had six guys outside waiting that I didn't let into the warehouse. But at the end of the day, I had to make a decision, and I didn't comfortable. And I went with my gut that this was going to be a rip, and they were gone. They were out of there. You know, I got rid of them, and I and I, I think they were stopped by one of the surveillance guys, and they ended up they ended up finding uh, uh, duct tape, rope. And all that kind of stuff. In yeah, one of the abduction cars. kit. That's everything that you need right. to abduct somebody. And talk. Absolutely. So I, yeah, I know the name you're going to remember, Kiki Camarena. When when I was yeah, a, a police and that happened, they were looking for him right. forever. Uh, that was a DE right. agent who was abducted, tortured, and right. murdered in Mexico. And so right. that had to be top of mind awareness for you. It was. And I was actually very active and undercover when that was happening. Very active and undercover. And it was heartbreaking for me. It was heartbreaking for me because I knew that that could be me, and 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 that's you know once you once you go overseas and doing the car, then you know you're increasing the risk tenfold because you you know you're not going to have that team that covers you that you think you, we have no power over there. So that's a whole different game going overseas. You got to be very very careful over there. Those, and, those cats that do that, they're they're a special breed. Uh, I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you, Lorenzo. I don't know how people do undercover work here in the United States, but I certainly don't get it. Overseas, We're right. talking with Lorenzo Toledo. He's a retired federal agent, U.S. Marshal, Customs, ATF, spent much of his career working undercover, was detailed to the or assigned to Burton County Prosecutor's Office, and consulted on major Hollywood films, including Miami Vice. When we return, we're talking more about his undercover career, misconceptions that people have, and realities. Maybe even a little Miami Vice talk. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Current conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Lorenzo Toledo, retired U.S. Marshal. I should say he's retired federal agent. He was a U.S. Marshal, worked customs, worked ATF, primarily undercover, Was the, uh, did a stint for the Bergen County, New Jersey Prosecutor's Office investigating sex crimes, organized crime, doing undercover work as well, and consulted on major Hollywood films, including Miami Vice. One of my biggest things that I, I, my biggest beefs with American television about television type films as well about policing is man, they live in these, these million dollar loft apartments and drive Ferraris and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, my reality was I was starving to death. I was eating ramen noodles and I had to have a roommate to afford a place to live. The real life on the cover is nothing like what you see on television. Absolutely nothing. We don't have that limited resources like they do in Hollywood. How about how difficult was to get money for a buy? Say a large amount of money. What did you have to go through to even that part? Right, <laughs> that was one of the hardest obstacles 
was to get money together, to ask for money. It, the paperwork involved was incredible. Like you wouldn't believe it. I mean, it was almost almost impossible to do one uh, a deal one day to the next or that same day. There was so much paperwork that had to be put in approval level approval levels. But you know what? We got it done. That's just one thing you, you learn to have to deal with. Uh, we did it as well. We did. We had very limited budget, so a lot of what we had was smoke and mirrors. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to a story that I did. I was working with the DEA, and I was uh, part of the task force. There was Maryland State Police, and one of the sergeants was doing a buy at a rest stop on a highway, and I was a backup team. And the way we convinced the the, the bad guy that he was a legitimate dealer was I bought his service revolver from him for like a, right. a little bit of cash that, that I had in right. my pocket. So the guy was thinking, obviously, if he's selling guns, I can trust him to buy cocaine, whatever it was. Right. Later on, I gave him that gun back. It was not a big deal. Right. You know, law enforcement, it's a great career. It's great when all the agencies work together. As you know, a lot of times the agencies are competing so much against each other. They actually get in each other's way. Yeah, yeah. And the only guy that wins is the bad guys when that happens. Your frustration level when it comes to having people understand the realities of just police work, not just the undercover part, just the police work itself. You know, I just laugh nowadays because I'm like, yeah, I wish it was like that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, like, especially on the cover. I mean, my job didn't end at five o'clock. It didn't end at five o'clock. I'd have to get calls all night from all these uh, informants, bad guys. I'd have to have a recorder available to make the recordings of the calls. It never ended. And then you always have the fear of running into these people when your case is over, that you're going to see them somewhere. And that happened to me on two different occasions. How did you deal with that? The first, well, you know, actually both times what I did was I actually looked at them. I knew that they, they knew who I was and I went right up to them. I wanted them to know that I wasn't intimidated or scared or anything like that. I wanted them to understand that I knew exactly who they were, you know, and, and you know what? I, I would walk up and say, you remember me? How's it going? And, uh, and I thought that that was the best way to do it. Um, I had a guy that had done five years and he ran into me and, and you know, it, the guy, Hey man, you know, at the end of the day, the best thing that happened to me was that I got arrested because I would have been dead by now. Right. And, and then the other guy just, you know, he, he just looked at me and he wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. Well, when people realize that you know that they know and you're not afraid right. and you're not a victim, right. they, right. even in nature, and I'm not right. a naturalist, but even in nature, lions and tigers, they don't attack the healthiest, the ones who can fight back. Right. They attack the Absolutely. ones who are injured, who are old, who are young, that look right. weak. Because uh, an injury could be life-threatening for them. So when right. you walk around like you are aware of your surroundings and I'm ready to do whatever it takes to survive, people can sense right. that. Right. Yeah, and I, again, when I did a lot of the undercover for uh, Homeland Security and Customs, it was I had an import-export business. So I was bringing in loads and containers of, of cocaine and heroin into the States for these guys. I had an, um, um, a false top on my container. And we also had different ways of hiding um, drugs. And they would come to me. Drugs, I would get the drugs. And then what we'd do is we would charge them uh, a fee for bringing in the, uh, you know, the cocaine or heroin. I think it was 35 a kilo of cocaine at the time. And it was 4,500 for a kilo of um, 
you know, again, these are only transportation charges, a kilo of heroin. And, um, but we used the same warehouse over and over and over again, which that was, that was tough because, you know, you, you never know if some guy's going to come in the next day and just kill you. Right. And recognize the place. Uh, or you yeah, got someone that's place, a recidivist yeah. that it's, look, these guys travel in the same circles. I, I got to switch gears because I know part of your career is consulting to Hollywood films uh, like Miami Vice. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was interesting. I was actually, I was one of the main undercovers for, for customs at the time here in Miami. Um, I was teaching at the academy. Um, and one day I get a call from my boss. Um, and he tells me, hey, um, the the SAC, right? The special agent in charge wants to see in his office. So I said, oh boy, you know, most, most of the time you get those calls, it's not good. Right. Something that happened. I'm like, oh, geez, what did I do now? You know, and, and I show up in there. When I get in there, I see Colin Farrow. I see Jamie Foxx. And I see Michael Mann, and I, I I was I was just blown away. I was like, "What is what's going on?" Here, Hold right? on and a then, second. No one prepared yeah. me for this. What's to happen in here? Yeah, exactly. So they ran it by me that they were doing Miami Vice remake, and they needed real undercovers to teach them how to do undercover work and what the mindset was of an undercover. So I went ahead. I did a I did a, a I actually did a school for them. I did a training for them, and. Um, one of the things that ended in the, in the class was that we ended, actually did a, we, we ended up punking Colin Farrell into thinking he was doing a real deal. And That's it's just funny. funny to watch these actors that are so good on television and, and movies, but when they think they're in a real scenario, you know, it's a whole They're not really ballgame. good actors then. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, there's actually a YouTube video. It's called Miami Vice Undercover that uh, portrays me and my partner at the time. Uh, um, well, he was actually my boss, Alex Alonzo. We both did the um, you know the cover for that, and um, it's it's Colin Farrell saying, "Hey man, I, these guys burned me. They got me. I thought it was real. And he couldn't sleep at night. He literally after he was done, he could not sleep at night. And he called up Michael Mann, and Michael Mann called up my boss and uh, the, the special agent in charge, and they decided to tell him the truth of what happened. That's funny because a lot of people don't yeah. realize Colin Farrell's Irish too. When he's not yeah. doing the pretend American accent." He speaks right. with a very heavy Irish brogue. Yeah, and, and you know it's funny. He was he he was pretty he was cool about it and showing what happened. We did the same thing with Jamie Foxx, but he didn't want to show it. Isn't that funny? The difference for you two? Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to show it. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want that coming out there. You know, I got a reputation. So that one, that one, you know, it, it stayed inside. You know, we couldn't let it go the video or nothing. But on on Colin, he was kind enough to let us go ahead and work with it. I remember watching the original series when I was a young police and was right. fascinated. I bought into all the Hollywood hype as well. The music, right. yeah. the cars, the man, we tried to do the Don Johnson thing. We dressed up to go right. out and, and it never worked. We always looked like right. goofballs. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about doing on the cover is that you have to blend in, you know, you can't be extravagant, you know, and, and, and in reality, unfortunately, you're never going to see a, a, a you know an African American and a white guy doing undercover together. No, there's I number one giveaway. They're police. Oh, forget it. Yeah, they're going to know you're a cop. It's just Absolutely. the way it is, unfortunately. You know. I, I want sure. to shift gears one last time. I know you are writing a book. Do you have a a, a working title for it yet? I don't. I don't. Um, but my book is going to be. I, I want to talk about what I went through as an undercover. You know, not just trying to sound like Superman because I wasn't Superman. 
I was just a regular guy doing a job. And I want to bring a little more humanity to the position and, and what we go through after the clock stops, you know. And where can people get in touch with you or get more information about you? Just starting off, I mean, I, I retired in 2000 and at the end of 2018, started working for Pfizer as a global security director. And um, starting in, in January, I'm going to be working for a company that's called Operation Underground Railroad as a contractor. And what they do is they help sex traffic kids overseas. We'll have to talk more about that in the future. Lorenzo, thanks so much for your service and being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. It was awesome. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. We'll be right back.